Well, good morning. I uh, was surprised and pleased when your pastor called and said, I'm going to be out of town. Would you come and preach? Uh, I was surprised and pleased because uh, I, uh, uh, I get those invitations to come once, but not often twice. And uh, I want you to know that that meant a lot to be invited back. I was here, I don't know, probably two years ago, something like that, my first time to be here. And uh, I enjoyed that so much that when... Uh, Scott said, would you come again? I said, of course I would. And uh, I'm glad to be here today. It's actually, uh, and I probably shouldn't say this, but it's true. Uh, I had surgery back in uh, November, the first week in November, and I haven't preached since then. This is my first time out since then. So, uh, so it's the second time, and it's my first time. So um, since I in, was invited back, I remembered a story. I, at my age and Sam's age, we don't remember everything that we knew. Um, by the way, Sam and Donna, I've known um, since we were kid preachers. Uh, we, moved, we moved here from Texas 46 years ago. Uh, spent 26 years in California, but uh, 46 years ago came here. And I believe Sam was already here then when I came and. We've been uh, we've been partners down through the through these these years. Anyway, the story I remember was of an internal revenue agent who was combing the hills of Arkansas looking for an illegal still. And he came up to this place out in the middle of nowhere. And this little eight year old boy was sitting on the front porch. And the agent said to this young boy, said, Sonny, is your daddy and brothers here? The boy said, no. Well, do you know where your daddy and brothers are? Yep. Well, would you take me where they are? No. He said, well, would you take me there if I gave you five dollars? Little boy said, yeah. So the agent said, let's go. Little boy said, uh, where's my five dollars? The agent said, well, Sonny, you'll get your five dollars when we get back. Little boy said, mister, you ain't coming back. <laughs> so so, uh, so I'm always glad to get to come back. And uh, Anyway. I, um, what I want to share today is, uh, is very special to me, and uh, I hope it will be to you if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, because uh, in a sense, uh, I want to encourage you that because you're a follower of Christ, God has done something for you through Jesus Christ you never could have done for yourself, and will always be true as long as time exists and eternity exists. And it ought to make us real happy. So I'm here today to try to encourage you and to make you happy. If you're not a Christian, what I'm trying to do is to say there's something missing in your life. And you can get it. But you can only get it through Jesus. And uh, I want to talk about that today. One author wrote one time that if the Bible was being presented as a ring, an exquisite ring, that every book in the Bible was symbolized by a certain gem. He said the largest and most precious stone in that ring of 66 gems would be the book of Romans. And he said the sparkle on that one gem signifying the book of Romans would be the eighth chapter of the book of Romans. When I read that, I believe that to be true. I love the book of Romans. I've preached through it many times as a pastor. I love reading it and studying it. But chapter 8 is uh, 
just such a wonderful chapter in that it, I think Paul tried to pull together everything that he knew about being a follower of Jesus Christ, and he tried to say it in this chapter. And I want to just point out three things that he talks about in this chapter. He talks about a lot more, but there are three things that I think are obvious and three things that need to encourage you as it does me. So if you have a Bible, I hope you do. If you'll open it to Romans chapter 8, we're going to begin with verse 1, and we're going to end with verse 39. So we're not going to do the whole, the whole chapter, of course. You can relax. Um, it, would, it would take a long, long time to do that. So, so let me suggest to you that there are basically three things. Now, beginning with verse 1, notice what it says in verse 1, Romans chapter 8, verse 1. Therefore, um, anytime... Paul uses that word. He means now, on the basis of what I just said, here's something important that needs to be said. Therefore, he said, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. Now, in the Greek text, which, of course, is what the New Testament was written in, the first word in that first Verse of chapter 8 is the little word, no. He begins with that word. In fact, literally reading that Greek text of Romans chapter 8, verse 1, would read something like this. No, no, then, now, condemnation to the ones in Christ Jesus. Now, why did he do that? Because it's important. He, He doesn't normally write like that, but he writes like that because it's important for you and me to know That while we may have known that we were guilty of sin and worthy of death, the fact is that because of something that Jesus Christ has done, no longer does that exist. There is no condemnation. No condemnation. Now, yesterday, I went back and I reviewed chapters 1 through chapter 7 of the book of Romans. It's a nice thing to do. But the fact of the matter is, if you, if you listen to what Paul said in those seven chapters, you will discover that he is sort of laying the foundation for salvation by saying you need it. And the reason you need it is because you're a sinner. And sin will send you to hell. And so I, uh, I read that yesterday, and there are two verses that sort of, that I had memorized back as a boy in church that I sort of said these two verses probably summarize what Paul is trying to say. If you read chapter 3, verse 23, it says, All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All have sinned. And in those chapters, Paul makes no exception. He said there's nobody ever been born except for Jesus who wasn't a sinner. All have sinned. We're all guilty. Jews are sinners. Gentiles are sinners. Everybody is a sinner. All have sinned. So, again, he's trying to, trying to lay that foundation that we need something by saying you've fallen short of what God expected of you. All have sinned. Of course, the other is in chapter 6, verse 23, when he says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, Paul has made a, 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 a big point to say All of us are sinners. Paul said, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. But the fact is, 
God was not satisfied with that. God was not God was not right with that, and he sent Jesus. And Jesus, who was sinless, the one who was perfect, the one who was not guilty of one single sin in his life, died on the cross and paid the price for your sins and for mine so that we could be under no condemnation. The word no there is an absolute word. It means exactly what it says. Uh, it, it, in, in fact, uh, uh, Weist, who is a, 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 a scholar, uh, translates this, this, this verse. I like the way he does it. He said, therefore, now, listen carefully, there is not even one bit of condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's not even one bit of condemnation if you have received Jesus Christ as your Savior now. There can be some accountability. He said, Paul talks in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 about all of us appearing before Christ to give an account for what we've done in the flesh. There is some accountability, but it's not condemnation. We will answer for the things that we did not do, even as believers. But there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to, I want you to see a little video clip, and some of you may be unhappy about this, and you can tell the pastor about it when he gets back, that you weren't happy with it. <laughs> You don't don't write me a letter because I can't do anything about it. So uh, watch watch this little video clip, and I'm going to ask you some questions about it. Okay, Casey Marie Anthony, a jury of your peers, having found you not guilty as to the charge contained in count one of the indictment, murder in the first degree. At this time, I will adjudge you to be not guilty. As to uh, count two. The crime of aggravated child abuse, a jury of your peers having found you to be not guilty, the court will adjudge you to be not guilty of the crime contained in count two. As to count three, aggravated manslaughter of a child, a jury of your peers having you found you not guilty, I will adjudge you to be not guilty of that count. Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you saw any part of that, uh, that trial that took place about three or four months ago? Okay, many of you did. How many of you agreed with what the, what the jury said uh, that she was not guilty? I don't see anybody's hand up. Uh, I, I think all the surveys that were taken said, this young lady is guilty. But here, here the judge is saying to her, on the basis of the law and on the basis of what the jury has done, you were judged to be not guilty. Therefore, I'm pronouncing you not guilty. Now, let me ask you this. You ever been guilty of any sin? Oh, yeah. All of sin and come short of the glory of God. That's true. Um, but the fact is, Paul says, for those who are followers of Christ, they are now not guilty. No condemnation. Why? Now, it's not because she, is, she was found not guilty, not because of what she did. She was found not guilty because in Florida, the law says that for a person to be convicted of a crime, a, a, a capital crime, that they have to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that she didn't do it. And somehow the jury found something to give a question as to whether or not she was guilty, and so therefore she was pronounced not guilty. Now, why are you not under condemnation? Not because of what you've done. 
It's because of what Christ has done. Listen to verse 2 of chapter, of chapter 8. Because through Jesus Christ, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. You've been set free. Not by what you've done, but by what Jesus has done on the cross. In fact, it is interesting that one of the words that Jesus used on the cross when he was dying, you know what it was. He said, it is finished. It is finished. Now, it didn't mean he was finished. It didn't mean that you were finished. It meant that what God had sent him here to do was finished. And so Jesus died on the cross and his death on the cross made it possible for you and me to stand before God, not guilty, not on the basis of what we have done, but on the basis of what Jesus did. You're not guilty. Uh, the verb here in the Greek is, a, is an aorist tense verb, which means it's something that happened, but the result of it continues on. It goes on and on and on. It'll always be there. And so... The thing about being a Christian, the thing about being a follower of Jesus Christ, the thing that you ought to be happy about today is that the Bible says you will never, because of Jesus, you will never, ever stand under condemnation. Never. Regardless of what happens between the time that you receive Jesus as your Savior, as your substitute for your sin, and when you stand before God, there'll be no condemnation whatsoever. So, be happy about that. And if you're not a Christian, you need that. And you can only have that as you receive Jesus Christ, the one who died on the cross and said, I've done what God asked to do. I've paid the price. It's finished. And you can have it. So aren't you happy about that? I am. I'm happy about that. And that's why I want to talk to people who don't know Jesus. I want them to be happy. I want them to have the same thing that I have and that you have that we are no longer under condemnation because of our obvious, obvious sin and the guilt that comes from it. But there's something else. Life is not just about that. There's something else. Look at verse 18 of Romans chapter 8. I consider that our present sufferings... Anybody ever suffering? Ever suffer? (laughs) Anybody suffering right now? Anybody ever had something go bad? Anybody ever lose a job? Anybody ever have a friend uh, uh, go against you? Anybody ever have anything bad? Uh, Well, that's a suffering. I consider that our present suffering are not worthy comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Uh, Phillips translates that verse. I I love his translation. He said, in my opinion... I like his opinion. In my opinion, whatever we may be going through now is less than nothing compared with the magnificent future God has planned for us. Now, life has its blessings, doesn't it? Life does its good things to us, brings good things into our life, makes us happy. But it also, even for believers, often brings events and people And things enter our life which are bad, and we suffer. So how are we going to handle that? What what is being a Christian do with these things that happen to us along the way? Well, I want to to show you my life, okay? I want to show you the blessings God has brought to my life, and then we'll let the little slideshow continue, and we'll talk about what's left. Okay, so show that, show that slideshow. 
Let me move out of the way. I got a mother and a daddy, and this is them before I knew them. That's, that's my little boy. There's my mother in her latter years. That's my sister and her husband. That's my brother, my little brother. That's me when I was baby. I have not improved since then. That's me and my little sister. You see, I'm dressed up to go to church. I found a wife, and I married her when we were both young. We had a boy. That's when he was a little boy, and now that's when he was grown. We also had a daughter, and this is our family when we were living up here, by the way. This is my daughter, blonde, beautiful young lady. This is my son and my wife and me back just probably three years ago. This is one of the most recent pictures of me and my wife. And one more picture. We have one grandchild, have a granddaughter. That's our family. That's what God blessed us with. Now watch the slideshow. That one disappeared because they died. That one died. My sister and her, her husband died. That's my sister down below. My daughter died about 17 years ago. My brother, my little brother died. And his wife also. My mother died. My son died about three years ago. And now that's all that's left. My wife and my granddaughter. Now, how do you, how do you handle stuff like that? By the way, the, the, the point here is that if you're, a, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, there's no condemnation about your past. And listen carefully, there are no complications in the present. Now, we may treat them as complications, but the fact is what, what Paul is saying here, that they're not... There's a, there's a verse that you have often heard, and we're going to read it. It's verse 28, Romans 8, 28. And you've heard it, and uh, in all likelihood, you've lived it, or you're going to. So, here's what he said. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. Now, who are, the, who are the persons who receive this promise of no complications? Well, they're, they're people who've been called. Outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ, it'll never happen. So, so we've been invited to receive Jesus into our life. We're compassionate in that we're loving God, and we're confident in that there's some things we know about God, and we know that He is going to be there. I was in a hospital... Uh, uh, intensive care waiting room one night about 2 o'clock uh, with a family member that eventually died. Um, and I was there alone. I'd been to seminary. I'd been trained in how to help other people in times like that, but I didn't know how to help me at that point. I needed something from God. I needed something from His Word. And I, I could go to many places, but I did something that I never thought... I heard other people talk about doing, but I never thought it worked. 
they said they, they just let the pages of the Bible uh, sort of flutter by and they stopped at the place and they found something they needed. And so I, I thought, well, I'll try that. So I have a copy of the Living Bible in my hand and I begin to let the pages turn and it stops in the wrong place. I never would have gone there. I never would have sent anybody to this book because it's not the kind of book that they taught me in pastoral ministry to use in a time like that. But it stopped. And my eyes fell on a verse of Scripture in the book of Proverbs. Now, the book of Proverbs is a good, is a good book. But for what I needed, I thought it was the wrong place. But here's what, here's what Proverbs 20, 21 says in the Living Bible. Since God is directing our steps, why then should we try to understand all the things that happen along the way? Since God is directing our steps. Why then should we try to understand all the things that happen along the way? Um, now, the important part of that verse is the first part of the verse. It is an acknowledgement that God is directing our steps. Is God there in the midst of all our troubles? Notice the comprehens- comprehensiveness of that verse. God is working with all things, not some things, not most things. But God is working in all things that come into our life. Years ago when we moved up here, 46 years ago we moved up here, not long after we moved here, my wife um, began to have difficulties and was um, eventually diagnosed as being manic-depressive. Uh, they have a different name for it now. I didn't, we didn't know what it was then, but uh, she uh, still has, by the way, still is being treated for it. But... Uh, one day uh, after we had moved from Seattle down to Portland, uh, I went home for lunch one day, and she'd been seeing a counselor trying to help her through this tough time. And she, uh, uh, I went home for lunch, and she said, uh, I'm reading this wonderful book I thought you might like to read. I said, well, what is it? She said, well, it's a book by Hannah Smith entitled The Christian Secret of a Happy Life. Well, I said rather proudly to her, well, I've got that book. In fact, I've had that book a long time. And I don't find that book to be that interesting. So I, I did what most of you men do when your wife suggests something. I did not do what she asked me to do. Um, and I was home again one day for lunch, and she said, have you read that book? Well, I was a bit indignant. I said, now, I told you that I, that I, already, I have that book, and I've not found that book to be interesting. And again, the second time I did what I did the first time, I did not read the book. Third time I was home for lunch, and she said, have you read that book? And I said again, I told you I have not read the book. I have it, but I haven't read it. She said, sit down, I'm going to read it to you. And so I did, and she did. <laughs> and it turned out to be a wonderful book. And it's a book I would recommend. It's over 100 years old now. But there's a chapter in that book that's a really a key to that book that my wife did not like. It's a book. It's like chapter 8. In fact, this is still in the bookstores, by the way. Hannah Smith, This Christian Secret of Happy Life. It's like chapter 8. And here's the, here's the chapter. Is God in everything? Is God in everything? She said that little verse that you learned in Sunday school, that, that, that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. She said that's more than a Bible verse for a child to learn. That is literally true. That there, If you're a believer, there is nothing in your life that God is not interested in. God is at work in everything in your life, regardless of how hard it is. And so, so I would say that I have learned that even in the toughest of times, when both children are gone, 
when a wife is sick and a mother and a father and all of my brothers and sisters are gone, even in all of that, God is still there. God has not forsaken me. God has not gone away. God is still there. Spurgeon wrote, here, I love, I love what Spurgeon wrote. He said, too much joy would intoxicate us. Too much misery would drive us to despair. But the joy and the misery, the battle and the victory, the storm and the calm, all of these compounded make the sacred ingredient by which God makes all his people perfect through suffering and leads them to happiness. So, friend, if you're a follower of Christ, there are no complications in the present. God is there. God will show up. God has a purpose in allowing anything in your life. And God will help you. God will, God will empower you through the difficulty that you're going through, whether it is sickness or whether it is bereavement or whether it is disappointment, whatever it is, God is there. So just count that as a joy, as a blessing. Then the third thing. Not only will there be no, no condemnation of your past and no complication in the present, but no separation in the future. I want to read the Living Bible paraphrase of Romans 8, verse 35 through 39. So you can read along and listen to this uh, paraphrase, which makes it a little more plain, at least to me. Who then can ever keep Christ's love from us? When we have trouble or calamity, when we're hunted down or destroyed, is it because he doesn't love us anymore? And if we are hungry or penniless or in danger or threatened with death, has God deserted us? No. For the scripture tells us that for his sake we must be ready to face death at every moment of the day. We're like sheep awaiting slaughter. But despite all this, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us enough to die for us. For I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from his love. Death can't and life can't. The angels won't. And all the powers of hell itself cannot keep God's love away. Our fears for today, our worries about tomorrow are where we are, whether high above the sky or in the deepest ocean. Nothing, nothing will ever be able to separate us from the love of God demonstrated by our Lord Jesus Christ when he died for us. No separation from the love of God ever. Nothing can do that. I like this. Donald Barnhouse, in his commentary on Romans, uh, was one of these words in here, and the Greek word is sort of a um, magic kind of word. I mean, uh, you know, the, the kind of stuff that other people write books about. Anyway, but he, 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 he thought uh, that, and here's what he wrote. Uh, wrote, uh, Barnhouse wrote, he says, the, the Christian can sit down, and listen carefully, the Christian can sit down at a table with 13 people present, Spell salt, break a mirror, open an umbrella inside a room, walk under a ladder, have a black cat walk across his path. And all of this can happen on Friday the 13th. Can you imagine more unluck than that? <laughs> and boy, listen to what he said. Yet none of it, nor all of it together, can separate him from God's love. Aren't you glad for that? Nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God expressed in Jesus Christ. Pastor in the Midwest, Midwest by the name of Rob Bell wrote a book, uh, oh, probably six months ago now, maybe a little longer, entitled Love Wins. 
And uh, he wrote that book because he was a little uncomfortable with what the Bible had to say about hell. And uh, he, he wrote the book and basically said God's about love. God, God doesn't have anything to do with hell. And uh, it, was, it was so obvious that the Southern Baptist Convention, of which we're a part, adopted a resolution, which, of course, did nothing. But they, they, they adopted a resolution saying we don't agree with that. Um, um, but you see that the, uh, the, the, this tragedy of hell... Uh, it's more critical than the temperature of hell. The agony of hell will be separation from God and all that is good. That's what hell is. The hell is being cut off, separated forever from God. And that's something we want to avoid. So what does it mean to be a Christ follower? What makes you happy? Well, I'm happy because I am not condemned because of my past. And I've got enough to be condemned, and so do you. We all do. No condemnation. No complications. Life hasn't always worked out the way I wanted, but God's always been there. And God has done some wonderful things in the midst of the, of the great tragedies of life that have taught me more about God and about me than I ever learned any other way. So I'm grateful for that. And I know there'll be no separation I'll never be separated from the love of God that I've known in Jesus Christ. Now, uh, I want to play that, uh, that video clip that I played the first one. I'm going to play it again, and I'm going to, I'm going to ask you a question about it. Okay, so play, play that uh, Casey Anthony video again. Casey, Marie Anthony, a jury of your peers, having found you not guilty, as to the charge contained in count one of the indictment, murder in the first degree, at this time, I will adjudge you to be not guilty. As to uh, count two, the crime of aggravated child abuse, a jury of your peers having found you to be not guilty, the court will adjudge you to be not guilty of the crime contained in count two. As to count three, Aggravated manslaughter of a child, a jury of your peers, having you found you not guilty, I will adjudge you to be not guilty of that count. Okay. Nothing changed. Uh, but here's, here's what I thought. She heard that. I think she was happy because the law in Florida and the jury that had made the judgment had judged her to be not guilty. Now, suppose that after, she, after the judge finished reading that, Casey Anthony said, You know, Your Honor, um, I, I, really, I really appreciate the law that uh, the state of Florida has, and I appreciate what the jury has had, but quite frankly, I don't think I want to live by that. I think I'll just, I'll just stay with who I am and what I've done. Uh, I, won't, uh, I won't accept what others have done for me. I'll just... Stay on my own. What would you have thought of her? This woman is crazy. She's turning down the opportunity to be found not guilty. But I want to tell you this. Everybody in this room has been told what you must do to have no condemnation in your life. It's not what you did. It's not even based on what you did. It's what Jesus Christ has done. 
And for you to say to God, God, no thanks. No thanks. I don't believe that I will do what you've asked me to do with your son. I just want to stand on my own. That person, I would be hard to understand. Why would you turn down the opportunity to know that for your past, you're not guilty? And for the present, God is going to be there to help you. And that there will never be anything, anytime, anywhere that will ever separate you from the love of God that has been expressed through Jesus Christ. But that's a decision that you get to make if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ. So my purpose today is to say to those of us who are Christians, to those of us who are followers of Christ, be happy because of what you have in Jesus. Not because of what you did, but because of what he did when you received him as your Savior and Lord. And if you're not a Christian, I hope you will consider the offer of Jesus, the one sinless one who died on the cross in your place as well as mine. And all he wants is for you to receive him by faith, to trust what he has done, to be adequate with God. God says it's enough. It's finished. It's enough. And receive that and become a follower of Christ with no condemnation for the past, no complications in the present, and no separation ever in the future. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for this wonderful, wonderful story. Because of what you have done for us, sinners as we are, deserving of death as we are, and yet because you loved us, you sent your son Jesus, and his life and his death and his resurrection has made everything possible that we have today because we're followers of Christ. And if there's anybody here regardless of age, regardless of background, regardless of sin, regardless of who they are, that has never received him. I pray that today they would receive him in their life by faith. As Paul said, that's the way Abraham came to know God was by faith. And Paul did by faith. And I did by faith. But they've come by faith to receive Jesus as their Savior and become a follower of him with all the joy that he brings. Thank you for speaking to us in Jesus' name. Amen.